Well, good morning again. It's good to see you here in the house of the Lord today. Before we begin, I would like to do just a special prayer for moms. Thank God for moms. If we didn't have moms, we wouldn't be here. So let's just pray for moms for a minute. Father, we thank you. We thank you for moms. We thank you for moms who carried us to term. We thank you for moms who loved us and cared for us. Lord, we thank you that you yourself compare yourself to a mom, that you hold us close to your chest, that you cover us and protect us as a mother would. We thank you, Lord God, for our moms. We pray for that today, Lord, for those moms who today is not really a great day because they think of the child that they lost or the child that they aborted. We ask your comfort, your grace, and your mercy to be with them today, Lord God. We ask, Lord God, you be for those who for today, Mother's Day is not a good day because their moms were not good. Their moms were not loving. Their moms were not kind. Their moms did not protect them. You would guard their hearts in Christ Jesus today. We pray for those who wish they were moms and never were. That you would fill that void, Lord God, for them. We thank you today, Lord God. No matter what is in our life, no matter what's going on, you really do cover every aspect of our life. So we thank you today for moms, and ask your blessing upon them in a very, very special way today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we're going to begin a study in the book of Ephesians, and I chose the book of Ephesians because given the culture that we live in, the way the world is going today, um, we need to be we need to make sure that we know what we believe. We need to know the hope that is ours. If you look at people who have survived horrific situations, POWs, you know, horrible things, whatever it would be, the one thing they would say that got them through is that they had hope. They had hope in something. Hope of their rescue, hope of you know, their God, their whatever it would be. The book of Ephesians is a book of hope. The book of Ephesians is a book that tells us in great detail who oversees this world, what his plan is, and what our part in this world is. It is a book of hope. I was reminded this morning as I was reading my Bible of what Peter wrote to his audience, what he said to fix their hope on. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Okay, right off the bat, we see that it's a, it's a mind thing. It's not an emotional thing. It's, it's, a, it's a logical thing. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, not letting anything, else, anything get in the way of how you think. Set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We just sang that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to go to the mansions that he's prepared for me. That is our hope. That Christ is going to return. And he will redeem his children. He will translate them into glory, if you would. We will be in his presence forever and ever. That is the hope. We need to be reminded that the largest part of our life is not lived here in this world. The smallest part of our existence is in this world. It is my intention as we study the book of Ephesians to encourage myself and to encourage you to set our hope fully on the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That through this certain hope that we would endure in this world which is fraught with hate. And it is a hate that in more and more is being aimed at Christians. Through our study, may we be encouraged in who God is, what Christ has done, and the promise of the Holy Spirit to keep us to the very end of time, when we will be received into our eternal home, where there will be no fear and no tears, but only the eternal joy of our Master. Only the eternal joy of our Master's. You stand with me as I would read a portion of Ephesians. First, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And as we come to your word, Lord, as a body gathered together, this is the most important thing we're going to do all week. Is as your church gathered together to hear from our master. And so we ask that we would have ears to hear, minds to understand all that is to be said to us today. We ask, Lord God, that anything, if there's anything in us, any sin, that we would confess it and remove it so that we can hear from our loving Father and become obedient children all the more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory." 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today is just an introduction into the book of Ephesians. We're going to have a broad overview of the book. And then, Lord willing, next week we're going to begin to really dive into it. I want to read to you a few quotes from theologians about the book of Ephesians. For most theologians, it's, it's right up there with Romans. R. Kent Hughes writes this. He says, Ephesians reveals the position and job description of the church in affecting God's new order. It answers the question, what does it mean to be in Christ, and what does this demand of us? What does it mean to be in Christ, and what does this demand of us? Ian Hamilton, I don't know if you ever heard of Ian Hamilton. I would encourage you to listen to Ian Hamilton. He is absolutely fantastic. He works with the Legionnaire Ministries. You can find him on Legionnaire.org. But he writes in his commentary on Ephesians, As Christians, we so often live like spiritual paupers. When we are spiritual billionaires, blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's the message of Ephesians. We are blessed in the heavenly places. The great Lloyd Martin Jones, whose commentary on Ephesians, the whole set of them, is, is just always the standard, writes this. The message of the Bible from beginning to end is designed to bring us back to God, to humble us before God, and to enable us to see our true relationship to Him. And that is the great theme of this epistle. It holds us face to face with God and what God is and what God has done. It emphasizes throughout the, throughout the glory and the greatness of God, God the Eternal One, God the Everlasting, God over all, and the indescribable glory of God. This epistle tells us throughout that we should always contemplate, listen to this, this epistle tells us throughout that we should always contemplate our salvation in this way. We must not start with ourselves and then ascend to God. We must start with the sovereignty of God over all and then come down to ourselves. That is just so true. It all begins and ends with God. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. How often we look at our salvation as if it's about me. No, it's about God. It's about what God has done and what God wants for us. Go over a few basics about the book. When was Ephesians written? And why is that even important? Well, because the Bible is a historically verifiable book. It is the greatest history, the most accurate history book you will ever have is God's Word. It was written in about 60 A.D., it was written to the church in Ephesus. What was Ephesus like? What do we know from archaeological records? What was Ephesus like? Well, Ephesus was a major Roman city in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. 
Ephesus, if you remember from your readings of Scripture, you know, was the center of worship of Artemis, the great goddess. Remember, they, almost a riot happened. Artemis was the goddess of hunting. So good, pretty good so far. Wilderness, wild animals, nature, veg- vegetation, childbirth, child care, and chastity. Man, she had a lot of responsibilities, right? She's the daughter of Zeus and Leto and a twin sister to Apollo. So revered was she that her temple in Ephesus is one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. We say it must have been absolutely stunning to see it. Ephesus, though, as a town, was sexually immoral. Ironic, since she was the goddess of chastity. Um, But there was rampant temple prostitution, sexual immorality. It's it's modern-day America. That was the context of which these believers were living. The church in Ephesus was founded by Paul, was later pastored by Timothy. Ephesus, probably most famously to us, is known as the church in Revelation, which abandoned its first love, namely Jesus. Tried to replace him with good works. Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. The prison epistles are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. In other words, they're epistles, letter, epistle means letter, that Paul wrote while in prison. He writes to encourage these churches of which he founded. And he's writing them from prison. Not too soon from now, his head is going to be cut off by Nero. And yet, not concerning about himself, he writes to these churches to encourage them. He writes to the church in Ephesus for them to know who they are in Christ Jesus, to know the purpose of which God has for them, and to stand firm to the end. The key words in Ephesus, at least from my perspective, there's a few key words which will help us shape and our understanding of the book. The key word is the word in. In. 86 times we find the word in. In phrases like this that are repeated. In Him. In Christ Jesus. In the Beloved. Trying to tell us The source of all things are in God and Christ Jesus. The word grace is 12 times. The phrase is like His glorious grace, the riches of His grace, or by grace. Grace is undeserved favor, unmerited favor. I did nothing to earn the favor of which God has given to me. You and I have done absolutely nothing to earn God's favor. We know from our studies of Scripture that it is actually the opposite. We are under the just wrath of God, and God in mercy has given us grace, undeserved favor. The word will is found ten times. We see the will of God. The purpose of His will. The counsel of His will. 
God knows what he's doing in this world. God doesn't need us to help him out or give him ideas. Does it mean we shouldn't ask God for things or ask God to do things a certain way? No, absolutely not. We're free to ask. But God is going to do what he's going to do. The word one is found 29 times with phrases like one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord. The idea of unity, of oneness, is prevalent in the book of Ephesians. Gives us an idea of what God wants us to know about the book and being unified as a body of believers. The word mystery is found six times. We see the phrase, the mystery of His will. What's it mean, the mystery of His will? The mystery of Christ or the mystery of the gospel. By our study of Ephesians and looking at these key words, we'll begin to understand what God wants us to know. We'll begin to understand what is the mystery of His will. What is the mystery of Christ? What is the mystery of the gospel? Are we going to take all the mystery out of God? No, absolutely not, because then He would cease to be God. There are, you know, the Bible tells us the secret things belong to the Lord. But the things that He revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Read that in the book of Deuteronomy. It is a pastoral letter. In other words, it's not written to introduce doctrine. It's not a doctrinal book. Is there doctrine in it? Absolutely. And will we deal with those doctrines? And perhaps you're already going, oh man, we've got to deal with that predestination and that chosen. We'll deal with it all. But it was written to encourage the church to continue in what they have already been taught. We know it's pastoral because listen to Paul's heart. Listen to how Paul prays for the people of it. He says, this is how I pray for you. If you ever wondered how to pray for somebody, whether they're saved or unsaved, I would recommend to you that Ephesians 1 is a great prayer to pray. It's a great prayer to pray for yourself. It's a great prayer to pray for us as a church. Listen to what Paul says. It says, I do not cease to give, my, to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I remember you when I, when I think about you, I give thanks to God for you. I remember you in my prayers. And here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. What does God want for my life? What's God's will for my life? Well, ask God to give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Ask that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. You feel floundering without purpose, without hope, living in fear? Ask God that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And that you would know, remember that word, gnosis, certain knowledge. I would know for certain what is the hope to which he has called you. What has he called you to? To everlasting life. 
What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? You know, God has given us a great treasure in each other. You may look around the room and go, man, we got the short end of the stick, I guess. No, we did not. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints of God's church is that He's given us each other, and together we have Christ. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? How great is God's power towards us? They'll never think that God can't. It may be that God won't, because it's not beneficial, but never think that God can't. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What kind of power does God work towards us? What kind of power is at our disposal? I'm not trying to get weird or charismatic like these jokers on TV, but we have immeasurable power has been given to God's children. It's resurrection power. Look what he says. That work, that, uh, that, uh, and that, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Resurrection power. We have resurrection power. There is no greater power than resurrection power. I was watching a documentary on, on uh, Mighty Planes and talking about uh, the B-2 bomber, the, the, the B-29 bomber, and, and dropping the hydrogen bomb over to Bikini Atoll Islands and how it was 200 more times more powerful than Nagasaki. That power is nothing compared to the power which raised Christ from the dead and is at work in you and I. It really is nothing compared to that. We sit there going, what are you, crazy? No, we have resurrection power. Oh, that we would get a taste of God's power from us. Is that, and it's that, it's, it's that, not that we can say, I have God's power and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not I'm going to go out and do everything with that power. It's that I can have the contentness of today. And that contentness gives me the hope for tomorrow and the hope for my future. Of which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Far above all rule, authority, power and dominion. That just tells us that Jesus is the ultimate power. That all the other powers in this world are subject to Jesus Christ. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, that is Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. What a great prayer. I pray that for my wife and my children. I pray that for you. I pray it for myself. Oh, that God would enlighten our eyes with just how awesome He is. 
Listen to his other prayer. He prays again for them. He tells them, he stops in the middle of the book. and says, I'm going to pray for you again. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, he says this, for this reason. Now we should stop and say, why for this reason? Because Paul just told them, I'm in prison, I'm in chains. And I don't want you to get discouraged. I want this to actually be an encouragement to you because you may be in chains. And if you ever become in chains, don't let it become a discouragement to you. There are brothers and sisters right now who are in chains for the gospel. There are brothers and sisters in Christ right now who may very well be staring down the barrel of a gun because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, don't let that be a discouragement. There's resurrection power. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. In other words, everybody goes back to God. God's in charge. That according to the riches of His glory, that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Saying, listen, I'm in prison. You may be too, but man, you know what? I pray that God would strengthen you. So that whether you're in prison or whether you're not in prison, whether you're being persecuted or not being persecuted, that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. So that when, if, when, if and when persecution comes, you'll stand and you won't shrink back. It says that you being rooted and grounded in love. Grounded in what love? The love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. Imagine Paul sitting in prison. He's contemplating God's great love for him. The world would say, what are you, nuts? How does God love him? He's in prison. He should be healthy, wealthy, and wise because of God. No, God never promised us that. He just promised us eternal life. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed at Jesus Christ. She would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How can you be filled with all the fullness of God? But he says you can be. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. What power? Resurrection power. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's Paul's heart for the church in Ephesus. Loved ones, I can tell you, I can assure you that as our pastors, as pastors, that's our heart for you. And I'm quite confident it's your heart for us as pastors. What's the overall theme of Ephesians? If you were to put a theme on Ephesians, I would say it's the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign over all things. And, and we need to remember 
The world doesn't look like it's under God's sovereign control, does it? The world seems like it's left to its own. The Bible tells us it's the prince of the power of the air is at work. The ruler of this world is the devil. But we need to remember, this is an important thing to remember, Jesus and the devil, Satan, are not equals. Mormons will tell you that. That's, that's false. They're not equals. Satan is subject just as creation is. He has rule over this world. And I was contemplating, and I thought about what God said to Job, from Job 38 and on, where God questions Job, and he says, Job, where were you when I made the mountains, when I said you are going to be this high and no more? To the ocean when I said, this is your boundary and you shall not overstep it. That's exactly what God does to Satan. Here's your limits. And that's how you're going to work in it. And you will never overstep them. And he thinks he has free will and he has free reign. He he does have free will and he has what he thinks is free reign. But everything that he does, unbeknownst to him, moves into the hands of a sovereign loving God. That God is working out his plan even through the evils of this world. God is using for His glorious purpose. That's a mystery that I cannot answer for you. But I promise you that when you get to heaven, you're going to go, I get it. (laughs) I get it. I get it. I don't know if we'll be saying I get it in heaven. Maybe we will. I don't know what's going to happen. Will I stand? Will I fall? Will I sing? Will I be able to speak at all? I don't know. But in the book of Ephesians, in particular, God is sovereign. God makes, Paul makes a point to say that God is sovereign over two specific things. Yes, over the entire universe. First, over salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. It really shouldn't be a controversial theme. But I can understand it because I've been on both sides of this argument. Listen again what Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6, concerning salvation. And we're not going to get into it here today, but as we go through the book, I believe we'll fairly and honestly answer these questions that we may have about election and all those things. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're going to begin to see the word in, right? Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. We're told very clearly, salvation here belongs to the Lord. God is the one who chose. God is the one who marked out. God is the one who adopts. It's all the work of God. Does that negate your free will? Absolutely not. But he also tells us that God is sovereign over time. Over time. I don't see the word time here. What are you talking about? 
If you remember, we're going way back in our study of the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. The word world is not world terra firma as we think it is. It's the word aeon. It means ages, time and space. Who is the Lord? Who's the creator of history, of time and space? It's Jesus Christ. It's my personal belief that in Revelation, the book with the scrolls, with the seals on it, that is Jesus opening up time and space for us. That's the history of the entire world. That's my personal belief. I'm not going to argue it with you. Ephesians 1.10 says this, that God did this as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on the earth. The word time here is the word karyos. It means opportune time. It's interesting. Remember I told you that all the events of the world are, sh- are moved and shaped into God's hands? Well, God is moving things and God is doing things and that they're at the opportune time for God's plan. For God's plan. Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 8. Thus says the Lord, in the time, the opportunity of favor... I answered you in the day of salvation. I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land and to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. Who is he talking about but Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, at the right opportunity, Christ died for the ungodly. But if God moves history and at the right time, God's calendar is not my calendar. God's calendar is not your calendar. No wonder James tells us that we can all make our plans that a year from now I'm going to go doing business, but we must add this, if it's the Lord's will. Because God may change my calendar. And God has every right to change my calendar. But if you think about time here as opportunities, how should we view our suffering? How should we view our suffering? Romans 8.18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Maybe if we begin to think, as God would have us think, that what we consider sufferings, we should turn to the word opportunities. What's wrong with you? No, God is giving us an opportunity that we would change the way we think, that we would act in a manner that God is shaping us They're opportunities. Are they sufferings? Are they real? Yeah. 
But God is using them. Their opportunity is for us to be transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. That's hard to grasp, isn't it? But that's exactly how Paul looked at it. It's exactly how Paul looked at it. What's the overall purpose of the book of Ephesians? He writes this in verse 10, again, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth, to show us how God is going to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. The purpose of Ephesians is also found in the prayers that Paul has. Let me read them to you again. Ephesians 1, 16, I did not cease to give thanks for you, Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, and what are the glorious riches, or what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. This is God's purpose for us in studying the book of Ephesians that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, knowledge of Him, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the hope to which we are called. This world lacks hope. There is no hope in this world. They say they have hope, but it's in all the wrong things. All the wrong things. Well, if we just get rid of racism, if we just get rid of inequity, if we just get rid of... And we need to work on those things. I'm not saying we shouldn't work on those things, but our hope is in if we get, if we get to this goal, life is better. No, it's not. Submitting yourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. There we go. Now we're going somewhere. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That we would get a glimpse of Christ in glory and on his throne and say, it all works from there down. It's all working from there down in the favor of of God's children. Or a second prayer, again in chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You would have power in your inner being through the Holy Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God, love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. They may be filled with the fullness of God. What a great purpose! The basic outline of the book of Ephesians that we're going to use is chapters 1 to 3 are the gospel and chapters 4 to 6 are the church. Very simple. I would direct you to the BibleProject.com. Bible Project, by the way, it's just an absolutely fantastic site. Fantastic resource. 
You don't have to type in all the explore video backslash Ephesians. You can go to BibleProject.com and type in Ephesians, and it'll give you an incredible overview of Ephesians in a drawing. It's really cool. You do it with so many books of the Bible. It's a great resource to use with your kids. Or for yourself, to be honest. It's not just a kid thing. It's an adult thing, too. And it's serious theology that they do. It's not a lacking thing. It's, not a, a, it's, it's really, really good. It's a great resource. That's Ephesians. That's an overview of Ephesians for us today. We're going to end with that today. But again, I would state to you what my hope is. Our hope for us. That we would know the hope which is ours, the power which is ours, the unity we are to have, the love that is ours, the love that we are to have, the conduct we are to have, the readiness that we are to have, and the boldness that we are to have. This is crucial for living in this dark, twisted, and perverse generation in which we live. If it was twisted and perverse in Paul's time, how much more today? And so, loved ones, as we embark on this journey of hearing God's voice in Ephesians, may we have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And may our hearts be enlightened. May we comprehend together with all the saints what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe knowing that God is working all things out according to the counsel of His will. And the counsel of His will is to work all things for His children, because He knows the plans that He has for you and for me, and they are not to harm us, but to give us a future and a hope. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, which is life. Your Word is is truth. Sanctify us in your truth. Grow us in your truth. Grant us wisdom and understanding in your truth that we may have endurance. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close in a song. Praise the Lord. Number 713, seek ye first. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, as and it shall be given unto you, seek and ye shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you, hallelujah, hallelujah, seek ye first the of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
bless you all. 